Welcome to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Dan Roth. Amen. Today, have a seat. Get your Bibles out and go with me to Acts chapter 25 and Acts chapter number 26. We're going to be bouncing around between the two chapters today. This is the story of us. And the title of today's specific message is Bowing to the Spirit's Lead. Bowing to the Spirit's Lead. Lead. Remember in Acts chapter number 25, the Apostle Paul has been in jail for a long time in Jerusalem. He knew he was going to be a witness there, and so he's been witnessing, telling his story over and over again. He's told it to the Jews. He's told it to the leaders of the Sanhedrin. He's told it to two governors now, and now he's on his second governor. He's been waiting around for something to happen, and nothing's been happening. First governor was a procrastinator. He's waiting a long time, and now the second governor is weak in his decision-making. And so Paul, being frustrated with this, finally does something that's legal for him to do. He makes an appeal, and he appeals to Caesar. And because he's made this appeal now, he's on a path to go to Rome. But during this time, Festus, who's the governor, has some visitors that come before they send Paul off. These visitors are King Agrippa, also known as Herod Agrippa II, and his wife Bernice. Really, Bernice was also his sister. You know, the the Herods were a a messed up family. See, this would have been Herod Agrippa II uh, of the murderous Herod dynasty. He would have been the great-grandson of Herod the Great, who was the one who slaughtered the innocent children at the time of Jesus' birth in order to kill Christ the Messiah. He would have been the grandnephew of Herod Antipas, who ordered the death of John the Baptist. Remember, they brought him John's head on a platter, all because John liked the way that this little girl was dancing and gave her whatever she wanted, and she asked for the head of John the Baptist. Finally, he would have been the son of Herod Agrippa I, who had put James to death and whom had imprisoned Peter. You remember, he was eaten by worms because he got lifted up in pride. Now, this is his son, King Agrippa II. He would have been the king of northern Palestine under the Roman rulership. And now, Paul is asked to give an account because King Herod would have known about the Jewish culture, known about the Jewish faith, known about the Scriptures, known about the way. And so, here he comes in to give his opinion uh, to Festus about what should be done in Paul's case now that he's appealed to Caesar. So, Paul here is giving another account of why he's in jail, but not just being a broken record or why do I got to say this again? Why do I got to, why do they keep calling on me? None of that stuff happens. He is happy. He's excited. Why? Because he's going to be a witness once again. He speaks of the resurrection, of his faith, his early life, how he persecuted the church, and of his supernatural conversion and calling. During this time, he retells the story of how he met up with Jesus on the road and the bright light shone all about them. And in Acts 26, verse number 14, it says this, and when we had had all fallen to the ground. I heard a voice speaking to me saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Some of you might have the old King James Version which says to kick against the pricks. We know that a prick is a sharp little pain that can come in, maybe like a thorn or something like that, comes in and produces pain. Oftentimes when we read something like this, kicking against the goads, we we may not really fully understand what's going on, and so we decide, you know what, I'm just going to read through that or read past that until I find something that I really do understand so I can really get something from my life. Instead of slowing down and considering what's being said and looking into what God is really speaking. The kicking against the goads is a term because if you've ever heard of an ox goad or maybe in Thailand they have the elephant goads, right? What it is, it's this long stick of pole that at the end of it would have a sharp little point. 
And as they would drive the ox with a, a plow, and they're walking behind that plow, they would have that stick because they would be plowing, and they would giving direction for the ox. Maybe they're getting off a little bit, and they want them to come back in this straight line. And so they would start to move that plow and start to pull the reins, and the ox, if he didn't want to go the direction that he was being led to go, what he would do is he would start to kick. I don't like that, and so I'm going to get you away from me. Now, if you notice on the picture behind me, there's a man behind a plow, a yoke of oxen there. And you can see that he's just far enough away from the back legs so that he's out of range. That's wisdom, right? Because nobody wants to get kicked by an ox. But what he also has in his hand is that long stick with a point at the end. And the reason why he has that is because if one of those ox starts to kick and starts to get unruly and not receive the direction where he wants him to go, what he'll do is he'll take that, and every time that ox kicks, he'll just give it a little prick. He'll just give it a little bit of pain, just a swift little goading to get him to go in the right direction. The ox will learn. The ox is smart enough to know that if every time I kick, if there's pain, I'm going to stop kicking. And so in that way, he trains the ox to follow the direction that he's giving. I believe that as Christians, oftentimes the Spirit is leading us, and he's moving us into some areas, but many times we say, Holy Spirit, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get up early and pray. I don't want to stay up late and read my Bible. Holy Spirit, do I have to go to church again? I mean, really, are we talking? I mean, that doesn't feel good to my flesh. I, I want to do me right now. I don't want to do what you want me to do. I mean, this is, this is what feels good is this direction, but you're pulling me over here saying to abstain or to stay away or not do that. I don't want to do that. And the Holy Spirit, He won't come crushing you. Don't get me wrong. There are people who think that God disciplines us with sickness and death and, and lack and poverty and all this kind of stuff. That's not God. Oftentimes, that's poor decisions or the devil, Right? Because we reap where we've sown, and the devil is out to steal, kill, and destroy. God's not going to put cancer on you to teach you a lesson. God will teach you, and he will lead you, and you will learn in all things. God works all things together for our good. But at the same time, that's not the way that God disciplines us. The Bible says that God speaks to us, and as he speaks to us, and he's leading us with that peace, that there are things that we start to kick against, and when we kick, God will goad us in the right direction. You'll feel those little, mm, no, nah, I shouldn't be going that way. Mm, I shouldn't be doing that. But God, I, uh, ooh, 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 that, that was a little, little painful right there, God. And God will just give you those little things in your heart to push you in the right direction. And rather than kick against God, we need to submit ourselves, and we need to bow to the Spirit's lead. God wants us to submit to what He would have us to do. See, bowing is a symbol of submission. It's a symbol of humility that I'm going to lower myself to elevate the one whom I'm giving respect to. And as we bow to the Spirit's lead, the Spirit can now take us and use us like the Apostle Paul to do great and mighty things on the earth. Miracles will take place. People will hear the name of Jesus. People will be getting saved. The church will be stronger and healthier. And God will do great and mighty things in your life and in your family and in the community that surrounds you. But that doesn't happen if we kick. We have to bow. In fact, I had a friend that, uh, you know, Kind of in my young adult years, we were hanging out, and he had this big old Caprice Classic. How many of you know that is a boat of a car, right? And, and if he was ever trying to get over on the freeway and someone didn't want to let him over, he would just start to merge over into the other lane. And as he was merging over in the other lane, he'd say, bow. See, God 
He's not this big old boat just kind of merging into our lane. No, God is an intimate, personal God, but God will oftentimes just goad you and say, hey, listen, will you bow? Will you submit yourself to my spirit? Will you just submit yourself to my presence? Will you, will, you, will you get going in the right direction? Come on, child. We've got things to do. We've got places to go. We've got people that need to hear the name of Jesus. There's a lost and dying world out there that needs you. Will you just come on and submit to my leadership and my lordship, my direction in your life? So today I want to talk to you about how to bow to the Spirit's lead. How to bow to the Spirit's lead. Now, I want you to notice I put bow all in caps. The reason why is because I am a teacher. That's my spiritual gifting, if you will. Yes, I'm gifted to be your pastor, and I can preach and that sort of a thing, but God has gifted me to bring simplicity and to teach, and I want you to remember this. And so the way that you're going to remember this today is that each of my points today are going to start with the letters B O. W in that order so that you will remember when the Spirit's leading, when you're kicking against the goes, wait a second, I shouldn't be kicking. This is only going to be painful to me. See, you're not hindering God. You're hindering yourself. And so rather than hurt yourself and hinder yourself, guess what? You can bow to the Spirit's lead, and God can move you in the direction that He wants you to go. Your family will get saved. Your life will change. You will find success on the earth. Do you know success is a Bible word? right? As you follow the Spirit's lead, you will have good success, as the Bible says. So today, how to bow to the Spirit's lead. The letter B for us today is this, how to bow to the Spirit's lead. The letter B is believe. Believe. Acts chapter number 26, verse number 8, the Apostle Paul, in giving his defense, talks about the resurrection. Look at what he says. He says, why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Notice he didn't make it matter of what's possible, but rather a matter of what's credible. Because there are many people who believe that God can, but they don't know if God will. See, he didn't say, why would it be thought impossible for you that God should raise the dead? He didn't say that. What did he say? He said, why should it be thought incredible? Notice incredible, we think, oh, well, God is incredible. Is he? Because the word incredible means lacking credibility. God is the most credible one that there ever was. Because he is God. See, he has credibility within himself because of who he is, his person. He's the preexistent one. He's the one who spoke and planets existed. All things were made by him, and there's nothing in the visible realm or the seen world that we can see that was not made by him. He sustains all things. He holds all things together. He's absolutely true. Not one word of his mouth has not come to pass, but he's watched over it to perform it. God is credible. Remember when the angel was speaking to Mary, right? He showed up in her bedroom and said, hey, Mary, you're going to have a baby. And guess what? Your cousin Elizabeth, she's with child in her old age. Now, that, that had happened before, right? Abraham and Sarah had a baby in their old age. Manoah and his wife had Samson in their old age. That had happened before. But a virgin having a baby, that had never happened before. And here the angel is declaring to her the word of the Lord what's going to happen to her. And then he builds her faith, and he says this, Luke 1.37, for with God, nothing will be impossible. See, and Paul comes up, and he says, why should it be thought incredible, not impossible, but incredible by you, that God raises the dead? See, we have a hard time with these things, and oftentimes the miracles of the Bible we even have a hard time with. Wait a second, did God really part the Red Sea? Did Jonah really get swallowed by a fish? Did Jesus really get raised from the dead? See, these are miraculous things that are outside of our understanding. And we know that God can, but did God really? And we 
have this opinion of God that lacks credibility. Because when God says He created the heavens and the earth in seven days, people have been fighting over this for hundreds of years of whether or not He really did it. Guys, whether He did it the way that we think He did it or not, He's God, and whatever He says goes, that's just the way it is. And if it doesn't line up with our thinking, God will reconcile that when we get to heaven. We'll figure it out later, in other words. That's not important to our faith. We need to believe whether or not we can conceive or understand what God is doing from the end to the beginning. Because God is God, and we're not. He's infinite, we're finite. He's all-knowing and all-powerful, and yet we are only as powerful as God gives us the power to be. See, let me put it into these terms, okay? Difficulty is only measured by the capacity and ability of the one doing the work. Remember, this is adulterers. This is why we sent your kids over to Children's Church, because they'd be like, Pastor Dan, you just lost me. I'm going to color a page right now or work on my mom's iPad. But you are adults, and I believe that you have the Spirit of God and the ability to understand this. Let me say this again. Difficulty is measured by the capacity and the ability of the one doing the work. Let me give you an example of this. We're, we're seated, seated right now in a beautiful building. Those of us that are here live online, you can probably see it on the website, that sort of thing. Beautiful building, beautiful campus. How many of you think it might be difficult to build a building like this? My hand is up right now, okay? I think it'd be difficult, right? But why do I think it would be difficult? Because I don't have a background in, in creating buildings, right? I, I've never done construction. I haven't built homes, that sort of a thing. I've renovated certain projects in the house. I've done some new floors and stuff like that, but that's about it, you know? So would it be difficult for me to replace the carpet? No, I could get someone to do that. That'd be easy, you know? But when it comes to building this structure and putting up all the, the electrical systems and all that kind of stuff, man, I, I would have a difficult time doing that, but I think I could do it. I think I could raise the money. I think I could get the contractors. I think I could get the people to do it. It'd be difficult, but I think I could do it. Now, let's change that for a second. Let's change the thought for a second, okay? I want you to think a new thought here. What if I asked a dolphin to do that work? I've heard dolphins are smart. Anybody hear dolphins are smart? Anybody ever heard, okay, talk about credibility, anybody ever heard someone say, you know, dolphins are so smart that they could build underwater cities? Anybody ever heard that statement before? I'm looking for a credible witness here. A couple of people kind of gave me a half hand. I think I've heard that, Pastor. I'm just actually helping you out in your sermon right now because I want people to think you're credible. But I've heard it said that people believe that dolphins are so smart that they could build underwater cities. Now, I've never heard of like, you know, Jacques Cousteau. We're going out into the ocean, and we're finding these dolphins. And, oh, cities they built. No, I never see that. Never, never, never. Jacques nor his son have never found a dolphin city underwater. Why? Because even though they have the capacity, they may be smart enough to do it, they'll never do it. And if I asked them to build this building, it'd be impossible for them to do it. They can't survive outside of the water. They need the water. The water needs them, right? And so here they are, and yeah, they breathe air and all that kind of stuff, but man, dolphins don't have any need of a building. They, they might be smart enough to do it, but they would never do it, and if I asked them to do it, they would just kind of sit there and do the flipper noises at me, you know, and just have a good time and smile and ask me for a fish or something. I don't know. They're dolphins. See, difficulty is measured by the capacity as well as the ability of the one doing the work. Why is it so hard for us to receive the miraculous in our lives? Here's the reason why. Because we underestimate not the ability, but the capacity of God, which includes God's willingness to do the work. Are you listening? We get disappointed when we pray and something doesn't happen. 
We get disappointed when we look at the news and the world's a mess. We get disappointed when we don't understand the things of God. And so we say, God is able, but is God willing? Remember that Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the unclean that he shouldn't have been touching. And he said, I am willing, be clean. So if God is able, and if God is willing, then what is stopping the miraculous in our lives here and now? Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration, meets up with God, the booming voice out of the heavens, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. The disciples that were with him, three of them saw his transfigured body, and in a moment he comes back into his natural self. They come down off that mountain, off that supernatural experience, and the rest of the disciples are there wrestling with the demon. They're trying to cast him out, and they can't do it. With one word, Jesus cast the demon out. The disciples afterwards are scratching their heads, and they pull, Jesus, get over here. Why couldn't we cast that demon out? And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 17, and verse number 20. Take a look at it with me together. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed. Notice, belief and faith are interchangeable words in the Bible. In fact, in the New Testament Greek, they're the same word, pistis. And unbelief would be ah, pistis, meaning that there was a lack of faith. So, Jesus says the reason why you couldn't do this miraculous act is because you lacked the faith that's needed. For I say to you, if you have faith, if you will believe as a mustard seed. That means you don't have to have this lavish, great, big, extreme faith. No, all you got to have is just a little bit, just a little seed faith, just a little something from the Word of God that you can stand on and believe. Then look at this. You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for who? Oh, for God? No, for who? For you. See, God is not limited in his capacity or his ability to do the miracles, except by our faith. And church, if we're going to see the miracles that we need to see, if we're going to see the signs and wonders going forth, people getting healed, people getting delivered, people getting restored, it's going to take a people who will simply believe the word of God and step out in faith and do the will of God on the earth. But we have to believe. We have to submit ourselves and bow to the Spirit's lead by believing. Second thing is this, the letter O and the word bow. If we're going to bow to the Spirit's lead, how to bow is that we have to obey. We have to obey what God says we need to do. There's far too many disobedient Christians on the earth today. A whole lot of rascal children, a whole lot of rebels going against what God has told them to do in the Word of God. You know, I've seen t-shirts that people think are funny. I may be a Christian, but I cuss a little. My goodness, can you just obey you stop being a rebel? I don't know if that's our American pride. We're so independent. We think that we can do everything our own way instead of just submitting and obeying to the Word of God. Notice what the Apostle Paul says back in Acts chapter 26, verse number 19. He says, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Paul says out of his own admittance, I did what God told me to do. I went to the Gentiles. I started the churches. I listened to his voice, and I followed his lead. In fact, back up to Acts 25, verse 25 and 26, 
Festus is talking to Agrippa, and he's telling him about Paul, and he says this in Acts 25, 25. He says, but when I found out that he had committed nothing deserving of death, and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him, verse 26, I have nothing certain to write, my Lord, concerning him. I love that statement. He says, I got nothing to write home about. I can't tell him why this guy's in front of me. He's a good guy. Good dude. He didn't do nothing. I've got nothing to write Caesar about. Church, we ought to live a life that the people have nothing to write home about us. And yet people online are writing everything, aren't they? I mean, they might write lies. They might write things. In fact, it's almost become a business now. People writing reviews online, Amazon reviews. I know people that make money by getting products and testing them out and writing reviews of them online. Write blog about it or put, put a comment or something like that underneath the, the reviews, put a number of stars. Everything's getting reviews now lately. You know, your church gets reviews. You should go online and give a good review to your church sometime. Yelp, Google, something. You know what I'm saying? Do, do something for God. Get that Facebook review out there, something like that. But on June 13, 2018, Caroline Beaton wrote for the New York Times that the Great Wall of China has more than 9,000 Google reviews with an average of 4.2 stars. Not bad for one of the most astonishing achievements in human history, but you can't please everyone. Not very tall or big, just saying. Kind of liked it, sort of. Wrote one ambivalent, one ambivalent visitor to the structure which stretches thousands of miles. Another complained, I don't see the hype in this place. It's really run down and old. Why wouldn't you update something like this? No USB plugins or outlets anywhere. Someone else announced that he's not a wall guy. Lame. I mean, what if someone was to look at our lives and rate us as Christians? What would they say? What would they look at your life? What would they write about online? Uh, goes to church, reads their Bible, okay, friend. Prays over meals, but nothing else. Likes the things of God, but not really a solid Christian. Lame. I don't know. I don't know. But I believe that there are better things concerning the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. See, the Bible, I, I love the fact that the Bible, the community of faith knew one another. And the Apostle Paul, before he ever got to go to Rome, had written a letter to the church there in Rome. And, and word had got out about the Romans. You know, this was the capital city. This was the place at that time. And so people would have had an attentiveness to this church there at Rome. I'm going to read Romans 16, verse number 19 in the voice paraphrase. Now, the voice paraphrase is written like a script. So if you like movies and television and scripts and that sort of thing, it'd be a great paraphrase for you to partner up with a, a solid translation. But I'm going to read this to you. You're welcome to read along whatever translation you have. But Romans 16, 19 in the voice says this, The stories about the way you are living in obedience to God have traveled to all the churches so celebrate your faithfulness to God that is being displayed in your life and seek wisdom about the good life and remain innocent when it comes to evil. Notice this. They were writing about the church in Rome, and what were they saying when they wrote about the church in Rome? They were saying that they were living in obedience to God. I hope that somebody, when they write about the Rock Church and World Outreach Center, says, man, those people are on fire for God. If they're writing about La Roca, they're saying they're in fuego por Dios, right? And they're going after it, and they're saying these people are obedient. They're not hypocrites. They really know the Word, and they go after the Word, and they do the Word, and they are obedient people unto God. Let's make sure they got nothing but good things to write about us when they write 
back home. Last one for us today is this. If we're going to bow to the Spirit's lead, number one, we have to believe. Number two, we have to obey. Last one, the W in our word is this, is that if we're going to bow to the Spirit's lead, we have to work. We have to work. Now, obedience is an activity, whereas your work is a lifestyle. Your obedience is an action, but your work is your occupation. Not your job, not the thing that you're getting paid to do, that sort of thing. That's great. That's wonderful and all that good stuff. But what I'm really talking about here is your purpose on the earth, what God has given you to do. My dad, a great man of God, loved him so much. He worked for his job as a lineman for General Telephone Electric. Anybody remember GTE? He actually was there since they were Pac Bell back in the day. Some of you guys remember that too, but I didn't want to make you guys raise your hand on that one. But he was a line man. He was a pole monkey. He would go up on those lines and, uh, you know, oftentimes come home with splinters all up and down his arms, that sort of a thing. He'd come home and, uh, you know, be wore out and sweaty and all that kind of stuff, work long hours. Faithful man, he'd go down in the manholes and that sort of a thing. He did all the construction on all the fiber optics down in Murrieta, Menifee, across the Lake Elsinore underneath the 15 freeway over there, and uh, worked all that, you know, back when there wasn't a single house out there. Now there's like tens of thousands of houses out there. But uh, eventually, he worked his way up, and uh, when the company was transitioning to become Verizon, he became a computer programmer for the company, helped them write the ticketing system that would find out what work they did and how much they did and where they did it and who did it and all that good stuff. And that was just brilliant. That was his job. And I remember when he retired from Verizon, he said they were just throwing too much money at me. I just had to retire. And he said, I used to do what I had to do. But then with a smile on his face, he told me, he said, now I get to do what I want to do. My dad went after his purpose. You know what my dad wanted to do? He wanted to get up every Tuesday and Thursday morning at 2 a.m. And he would get up, get dressed, get in his truck, or later years, his little car. He bought this little six-speed that he loved, man. And uh, he would drive over here to the Rock Church Food Distribution Center. He would open the gates. He'd open up the doors. He would make sure that the coffee was on. He'd start cooking some breakfast, some bacon and eggs. Come on, somebody. How many of you know that's the will of God right there? Some bacon and eggs at 2 a.m. in the morning, right? And he would cook breakfast for all the guys, get everything open and ready, start rolling out tables, that sort of a thing. My dad would get the computer systems up and running so that the check-in would run smooth. And these guys are up there at 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning getting ready to serve the people that are coming here to receive food. That was what my dad wanted to do, and he did that literally till the day he passed from this earth. See, his job was computer programmer. His job was lineman. His job was pole monkey. But his occupation, his work for the kingdom of God was to simply share the love of Jesus through acts of service and through words of encouragement. That was his purpose. Jesus is speaking to the apostle Paul in Acts 16, verse number 16. After he gives him the charge, he says, but rise, Stand on your feet, for I've appeared to you for this purpose. Notice there's a purpose of God for the calling of his children. To make you a minister. A minister is a servant. Don't get that twisted. A lot of times people see that the minister, the the pastor, oh, this pulpit platform star, look how elevated he is in the church. No, 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 don't get that twisted. A minister is a servant. And the higher you go in the Christian organization, the more of a servant you become. Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you better be servant of God all. So he says, I've appeared to you for this purpose to make you a minister and a witness. 
both of the things which you've seen and of the things which I will reveal to you. Paul did that. He saw Jesus. He saw the risen king. That's why he's saying, why is it thought incredible by you that God would raise the dead? He started to declare that Jesus is alive, this one whom I persecuted. Hey, guess what? I was doing the wrong thing. He's alive, and he's the head of the church, and he's the Messiah who we were waiting for. But also, he got caught up with Jesus, got the revelation of the dispensation of grace. That's what the book of Romans is really all about. And so he started to declare the things which Jesus had spoken to him. And for decades, through this story, the story of us, he continued on. Look at Acts 26, 22. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand. What did he stand doing? Witnessing, both to small and great, saying no other things than that which the prophets and Moses said would come. Here, some decades later, we find the Apostle Paul doing his God-given purpose, being the witness that he was called to be. Church, I wonder today, what is your purpose? I wonder what the work is that God has called you to do. Maybe God has called you to education. Maybe God has called you to acts of service. Maybe God has called you to be a part of a ministry here at The Rock or to start a ministry out there on your own. Maybe God has called you to the, the business sector. Maybe God has called you to be a witness to people in hospitals. Maybe God has called you to pray for the sick. Maybe God has called you to be an intercessor and to pray over things on the earth. Maybe God has given you that calling to raise children and to train them up within your household and to deploy them into acts of service all over the earth. Church, what is your calling? What is your purpose? What is your ministry, your service for the people? Because God wants to use that so that you can be a witness, both of the things which you have seen and the things which you've heard. If Jesus has showed up and done anything in your life, then you've got a witness. You've got a testimony. You've got a job to do. God has called you to go up there and be his hands and his feet. God wants to make you the full-time minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, what is your purpose? What has God called you to do? Will you be obedient or will you run from the calling? Will you do it in faith or will you stay in believing? Will you bow? Will you believe? Will you obey? Will you work? Then you will not only see the miraculous, but guess what else? You'll be found faithful to God, fulfilling your ministry on the earth. Can anybody say amen today? Don't kick against the goats, church. Don't be disobedient. No, bow to the Spirit's lead. Believe, obey, and work. Can we pray together today, church? No one getting up, no one walking around during this time. Church is not done. We got plenty of time. The preacher preached short today. Praise the Lord, somebody. Miracles do happen. <laughs> Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Online, come on, join us in praying together. Don't log off just yet. God wants to do something in your life. Would you pray that prayer that we often love to pray in this place at the end of every message? God, what are you speaking to me? Maybe today God's speaking to you about believing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Maybe God dropped a scripture in your heart. Might have dropped a statement, a phrase, or a word.
If so, just simply say, Lord, I believe. Make sure to write that word down. Don't forget it. I know if I don't write stuff down, I forget. Maybe God's talking about your obedience. Told you to do something, you didn't do it, you've been kicking. God says, will you bow? Will you submit yourself to what I've told you to do? Maybe today you know your lifestyle is out of line with the Word of God, the written Word, what you see in the Bible. You know you're grieving the Holy Spirit, but you've been selfish in doing what has felt good to you. And today you need to repent. Change your heart and mind. Change your direction. Just take this time right now. Talk to God about it. Commit yourself to following Him in obedience. Maybe today God is talking about your work, not your job, your work on the earth, the work He's called you to, your ministry. your witness. A man in the first service met me at the back door with a volunteer application in his hand. said, Pastor, I'm going to bow. I'm going to do some work. i got work to do here. Get ready to help out. I praise God for that. What's God calling you to do? Like I said before, if you haven't already written it down, if God's speaking to you, write it down. Maybe you want to share with your spouse or a faith-filled friend that you're here with, someone that you trust. If you're watching online with a group of people, you trust them. Maybe you want to share in that, that group right now. If it's appropriate and you want to put it in the comments section, go ahead. I love seeing the scriptures and the words that God gives people. Believe, obey, work, whatever God spoke to you. You can share that right now. You know there's accountability because when you speak it, Ooh, it's out there. You got you to gotta do it now. But guess what else there is? There's agreement. Jesus said, whatever you agree upon on earth is agreed upon in heaven. And there's power when we share with somebody and they say, yeah, I'm going to believe God with you for that. I'm going to hold you accountable to that. There's power. It means it's going to happen. Let's not limit God with unbelief. Let's believe God. Be obedient children and do the work he's called us to. Father, we thank you today for your word. We receive it with meekness. God, I believe that the, the miraculous is just around the corner, that, God, you're going to do great, mighty, wonderful things in our midst. For that, God, we give you the praise, the glory, and the honor in Jesus' name. Lead on, Holy Spirit. We will bow and submit ourselves to you. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.